Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. We all desire to do good things, and we all want those things to be noticed. This is a human instinct, the desire to perform, to score a point. That's why we all play knockout immediately after the service. To get an A, to paint something beautiful, to engineer something beautiful, it's instinctive. And I think you could say the same thing for good works, for acts of compassion. And it's instinctive to want those things to be noticed by an audience. I love to fish, and guess what I do after I catch a fish? I look around for somebody to show it to. And if nobody's there, guess what I do? I take a picture of it. And if I don't have a phone to take a picture of it, what do I do? I tell somebody about it as soon as I see the next person. Guess what I just caught? And if that's true for fishing, I think it's true for life, is it not? We do something, and you look around. Did anybody just see that? And we usually have a particular audience in mind, do we not? There are certain people that we care about seeing us and others that we're not as bothered about. When you achieve something or are performing, isn't it true that you're kind of looking throughout the crowd to see if that person is there. And if they are, everybody else fades out of focus because that person is watching you. And if they're not there, it's not the same. My favorite example of this is one time I watched a documentary on the rock band Queen, and Brian May, the guitarist for Queen, uh, was talking about how his father always thought Queen and his chosen life was just kind of like silly rock and roll, like didn't matter that much. But deep into their career, they had sold out Madison Square Garden, and his dad came to the show and watched. And after the show, his dad came up and basically just said to Brian May, I get it. And when Brian May, one of the most iconic rock stars in history, this is the guy who rushes into Bohemian Rhapsody with that epic guitar riff. This guy's played in front of millions of people, and he was talking about it. He burst into tears, and he was like, that's when I knew that I had accomplished something. Isn't that fascinating? This dude has more money and more fame, more notoriety, more rock and roll capital than most people alive or ever. And he was just hungry for the attention of one person, his dad. The desire to do good and to be noticed when you do is built into you and God created you that way. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Sometimes my wife and I will be talking and having a nice conversation, and then we realize we feel a little bit agitated and on edge. And we realize it's because one of my boys is in our ears going, Dad, look, Mom, watch. Dad, look, watch. (laughs) What do my boys want? They want to be noticed. And what do I do? Do I reprimand them for that? Quit showing off. You should want to do a good thing or a right thing just for the sake of the thing itself. You don't need me to look at you. No. What do I do? I notice them. I get on the carpet and I tell them how proud I am for the Lego they just built or whatever it was. You do not grow out of the child's dad look. It grows up with you into a more deep and robust sense of an adult wanting to be seen. What is the point of our humanity if no one else is there to notice? God created you to do wonderful things and to have those things seen and rewarded. And it is that 
part of your personality and that part of your character and that part of your humanity that Jesus directly speaks into in the passage that Deacon Val read this morning. We're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew's chapter 5 to 7, and we just finished chapter 5, which is all about the word righteousness, about what is right and how the Jesus' follower, remember he says in chapter 5, kind of a really, is to be distinctly deep and broad. Remember he says in chapter 5, kind of a really iconic verse in that chapter is, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But in chapter 6, we get to this different section where Jesus talks about practicing righteousness. So if chapter 5 is all about the what of the Jesus ethic, chapter 6 is all about the how. And as we'll see, Jesus is going to show that his followers practice, they do their righteousness, they do good differently because they have a unique understanding of what their stage is, who their audience is, and what their reward is. To prove his point, Jesus uses three examples of good things, which is almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. And these are like classic good things. Um, Almsgiving is essentially social justice. It's charity. Prayer is fundamental to human experience, and fasting is something that most cultures historically have practiced. It's basically self-control, self-denial. It's a good thing. And Jesus uses these three examples to show how there are two different ways to do them. There's two different stages. There's two different audiences. There's two different rewards. One is the way of the hypocrites, and one is the way of Jesus. Uh, And I gave you a really fancy outline today in your sermon page. So I was that far ahead to get that in the bulletin before it was printed. So if you are an outliner, there are blanks you can fill in as we go along. So we're going to look at these two different ways, and whew, there, are, there are riches here. This is, this is so good. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we dive into your word, would you unlock this to us through the power of your Holy Spirit? Lord, there's such a slavery in the way of the hypocrites here. There's such a bondage in seeking the approval of others. Lord, would you release that into the delight and the eyes wide open pleasure of our Father in heaven. And all God's people said, amen. Turn with me in your Bible or your bulletin to the the gospel reading in Matthew 6. We're going to begin by looking at the way of the hypocrites. Um, For each example, Jesus is going to start by saying, don't be like the hypocrites. And the word hypocrites in Greek is hypocrites, which basically means actor or role player. It's literally an actor from a Greek drama. It's the same word. And my thespians in the room, in classical drama, actors wore masks, correct? Right? Yes, thank you. That's where you get the the thespian face masks with the happy and the sad. Um, So that's what you should have in your mind. It's a person who is taking on a character to play a role in front of others. And how do they do their good work? How do they practice their righteousness? Here's your your two first blanks. They practice it in the sight of people on a public stage. In the sight of people on a public stage. So let's go through Jesus' three examples. Look at verse 2. This is about social justice, about charity and almsgiving. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. 
Now, this is comical. These guys are, before they give money to the poor, they literally blast trumpets. And apparently the excuse was it was so all the, the poor people could know it was about to happen so they could come and find him. But isn't that a wonderful excuse to let the town know you're giving away your money? Um, we don't necessarily blast trumpets, but we have trumpets in our culture. You want to be a part of something, you're doing some activist thing, and you put it on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, you give money and you want your name on a plaque or a website or a board or something like that. We do the same thing. The bottom line is they want to be seen. They're performing. Look at a second example about prayer in chapter 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Again, these folks are working at their piety in prayer, but it's on a public stage. It's in front of everybody. Prayer is, by definition, between you and God, and yet they're doing it as a performance. They want people to notice how good they are at it, how long they can go, how eloquent their prayer and their piety is, right? We do this too. We pray to impress. You know, when you're praying and you feel like somebody's preaching in the prayer at another person in the room, that happens. We do that. It's like practicing mindfulness in a way that everybody else can see and you're kind of showing off how awesome you are. Let's look at his third example about fasting. This is in verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. This is like fasting or practicing some form of hardcore self-discipline and bragging about it all throughout your day at work. So it's like you're at work at lunch and somebody's like, hey, do you want this donut? You're like, no, 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 I'm fasting. It's like, I know that's hard, but I'm just, it's that intense, I know, it's crazy. Jesus' point is really clear, isn't it? These men and women are performing. They're playing a character on a public stage throughout their day. And what reward are they looking for? They're starving for it. They want people to notice. They want people to see it. I think there's a lot of insecurity here. You guys feel that? The need to have other people see? Example, did you catch it? Look at the end. And Jesus says this fascinating thing, the same thing after each example. Did you catch it? Look at the end of verse 2. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. End of verse 5. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. End of verse 16. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. The result of this is a temporal reward. That's your last blank for the way of the hypocrites public stage in the sight of people for a temporal reward. Jesus is essentially saying people actually aren't applauding them because they're really good at prayer. They did give money away to the poor, but that's all they're getting. And we know from the context that Jesus is saying that reward is not a good thing. So what's he getting at? I think this is where the gold is. Why is this a bad thing? The temporal reward of public praise is temporal. It's momentary. It's fleeting. It satisfies for a moment, but it can never fill up the cup. When it comes to public recognition, we are all like a glass with holes that the water just seeps through. You get a little bit, it feels good, but then you need more like a drug. And it puts you on this vicious cycle of constantly seeking it out. And in the process, people come up, become a commodity 
People become somebody with a resource, almost like a drug dealer that you need. So you stop seeing others for who they are. They become a mirror in which you are seeing yourself act on their stage. And that makes you, by the way, a slave to their opinions. Um, The testimony of famous people is fascinating, and it's unanimous, and it reinforces Jesus' words. And we need to listen to famous people who get a lot of this talk about what it's like. I don't know if any of you are really famous. Some of you could be. I don't know. Uh, I don't think any of us are, but we need to listen. The more and more stories you read, we could do any one, but it's shocking how they all agree there is great joy in the public space. It's like an actor in a Greek drama. They put on the mask, they walk out on stage, and there is thunderous applause. It rises like a storm. It's electric. It's transcendent for a moment. But it's temporal. It goes. They walk backstage. They drive back home. And when they take the the mask off, there's desolation. The hunger remains. The reward has dripped through the holes. And do not all celebrities, when they get a chance to be interviewed and talk, do they not all say, that's the real me? The one on stage isn't the real me that you're obsessed with. That's me. I think I've quoted this before, but Jim Carrey says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. Public applause, no matter how big, can never reach the secret place. It can never get there. There's a Nicaraguan Catholic priest and politician. Isn't that hardcore for an introduction to who you are? He's also a poet uh, named Ernesto Cardinal, and he wrote a poem for Marilyn Monroe after her death that is deeply moving, and I highly recommend it. It's called A Prayer for Marilyn Monroe, and in it he writes this. This isn't the whole thing, but I just want to read a part of this because everything we're talking about is here. Lord, this is the poem, in this world polluted with sin and radioactivity, You won't blame it all on a shop girl who, like any other shop girl, dreamed of being a star. Her dream just became a reality, but like Technicolor's reality. She only acted according to the script we gave her, the story of our own lives. It was an absurd script. Forgive her, Lord, and forgive us for our 20th century, for this colossal superproduction on which we all have worked. She hungered for love, and we offered her tranquilizers. Remember, Lord, her growing fear of the camera, her hatred of makeup, insisting on fresh makeup after each scene, and how the terror kept building up in her and making her late to the studios. Like any other shop girl, she dreamed of being a star, and her life was unreal like a dream that a psychiatrist interprets and files. Her romances were a kiss with closed eyes, and when she opened them, she realized she had been under floodlights as they killed the floodlights. And they took down the two walls of the room, It was a movie set, while the director left with his script book because the scene had been shot. Another really famous songwriter I love says the same exact thing, completely not related to this, just shows how similar the experience is. This is the end of a song he wrote, believe you're where you are, keep acting out the part, but at the end of the day, the trees all get wheeled away like a prop in a play, and you'll be standing alone in a blank, blank space So believe you're who you are and stay in character. But at the end of the day, the audience walks away and I'll be shivering cold on a well-lit stage. Woof. Now I know none of us are epic famous like Marilyn Monroe, but does any of that speak to you? Can you relate? 
particularly to the difference between the public and the private you when your mask comes off. That temporal reward can never make it to the secret place. And as bad as that is, that's not the worst part about going after this reward. The worst part, Jesus says in verse 1. Look at it real quick. This is the theme of the whole thing. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Why? For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This is Jesus' main point. To play out your life so others see you and reward you is at odds, is at odds with the reward of the Father, which is the only thing that can fill you up in the secret place. When I first thought about that, I thought, well, that seems weird. Why can't you have both? Why could you not have, like, want people to like you and, like, work for the reward of the Father? But you can't. And that's because our Father in heaven and the world applaud completely different things. The world applauds championships, academic notoriety, careers, Oscars, Grammys, money, beauty, sex appeal, lots of Instagram followers. But do those things impress God just by themselves? Any of those things? No. This is so important. God never says, blessed are those with Super Bowl rings. (laughs) Blessed are they whom everyone thinks is beautiful. Blessed are they who fully express themselves, fully recognized. Blessed are they who make history. It is utterly opposed to what the Father applauds. Do you remember how the Sermon on the Mount begins? The first words Jesus says? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they who hunger. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are you when people revile you in my name. And in Luke, he goes on to say, Woe, beware to the rich. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so they did to the false prophets. If you like sports, you'll be familiar with goat arguments. For my sports people, what does goat mean? Greatest of all time. I know it's weird to say goat, but it means greatest of all time. So who's the goat quarterback of all time? Sorry, Packers fans, Tom Brady. And sorry, LeBron fans, Michael Jordan is the goat. (laughs) Do you know Jesus says the goat, greatest of all time? Which Jesus says. Do you know who it was? John the Baptist. Jesus says nobody's greater than this guy, born of woman. Do you know why he was the goat? Because he was the least. John was the one who said, he must become greater, I must become less. Did John the Baptist care what people thought? No. That dude lived in the woods and ate bugs and told people to repent of their sins and ultimately got his head cut off. And Jesus said, he's the greatest. The audience of the world and the audience of the Father are utterly distinct. You cannot serve two masters. You can't go after what each of them are seeking to applaud. And because of that, Jesus starts this entire discourse with the word, beware. Do not go after the praise of the public. He's like giving you every blinking red light he possibly can. So what is the Jesus way? That's the way of the hypocrites. What is the Jesus way? I'm just going to give you all three uh, blanks here. It is in the sight of the Father. It's on a secret stage. And it is for an eternal reward. So it's in the sight of the Father. It's on a secret stage. 
and it's for an eternal reward. Let's go back through our three examples. Let's start with social justice in verse 3. You, when you give to the needy, and that you is singular, so you should, you should feel Jesus speaking to you here. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. You don't need to put it on social media. You don't need your name anywhere. Keep it secret. Your Father sees So if you're making some sacrificial donation, if you're sitting down to give, tithe, whatever it is, in a month where you're not even sure how you're going to make it, you can say, Lord, this is for you. I know you see this. And he sees. He's watching. He's noticing. Look at what Jesus says about prayer in verse 6. But when you, there's the singular again, pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Isn't that amazing? The father's in secret. By the way, scholars say this is the storeroom in an old ancient Near Eastern house, and it was like the only one that locked. So it's like the pantry. It's like go into the one place that you can get away from the rest of the world and lock the door because your dad's there. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they're going to be heard because they talk so much. Do not be like them. Your father knows what you need before you even ask him. He sees you. People don't need to hear your prayers. You don't need to be impressive. Just go into the secret stage, into the quiet place. Take your mask off. Be yourself. Pour out your heart. He sees you, he knows what you need. And he gives, Matthew gives us the, Lord, the Lord's prayer right here, which I don't have time to get into, but it's such an intimate prayer. It's so honest, isn't it? And who's it directed to? Our Father. Let's look at the example about fasting in verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father, who is where? In secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So be like Jesus. Fast. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Say no to things to say yes to God. But you can keep it quiet. You don't need to show other people. You can say, when you pass up that donut, or you say no to that vice that you're letting go of, or that luxury, Lord, this is for you. I know you really clear, isn't it? The stage is secret. Jesus' point is really clear, isn't it? The stage is secret. It's before an audience of one. And Jesus did this. This is just where you start. Jesus always talks about things he does. He both teaches it and he shows it. If you've read the Bible before, think about all those times in the Gospels where Jesus goes off by himself up on a mountain to pray. Don't you want to know what's happening during those moments? What were those like? What was he saying? What was he doing with the Father when he was away up on the mountain? You know what the answer is? It's a secret. It's not for us to know. It was father-son time. There were vast portions of Jesus' life that were secret. Alone. Just him and the father. And he's calling you to the same. He's calling you to have places in your life that are only father-daughter time. Only father-son time. 
I think this is a massive application of this before we go on. Do you have secret places in your life? Where's your pantry? That nobody knows about, not even your roommates or your family. It's just you and the Father. Now we must end by thinking about this eternal reward of the Father. How is the reward of the Father different than the temporal reward of those around us? What's the catch? Where the reward of the world drains, the reward of the Father fills. Remember the glass with holes in the testimony of the famous? Public praise and recognition can never make its way into the secret place. It's a fake outside life, and it drains as quickly as it fills. The reward and recognition of the Father is the utter opposite. He meets you in secret, he fills you up in secret, and it's inside out. And let's listen to the testimony of the Psalms, kind of contra the testimony of celebrities. Listen to how they describe it. David says in Psalm 18, verse 19, that God brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And then he goes on to say, and the Lord has rewarded me according to, me to, according to my righteousness. He says in Psalm 16, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. He's saying you go after the reward of other things, the glass is just going to drain you. And then he says, the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. And he says in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And in Psalm 23, he says, my cup overflows. Fullness, fountains, engulfing, satisfying, life-giving, overflowing. That is the image of the reward of the Father in the secret, quiet place that nobody else knows about. And also different in the way of hypocrites, the reward of the Father does spill out into your life. When you are soaking up the delight of the Father and you're working out your salvation before him in secret, how do you think you see other people? You can see them for who they are, right? You don't need to manipulate them or act in front of them. You can be yourself because you're secure in the Father's love. It allows you to truly love people and truly be yourself. It's also an eternal reward in the sense of the forever sense of the word eternal. Oscars will rust and decompose, right? People are going to forget about your movie. Grammys will do the same. Sports trophies, championship rings mean nothing on your deathbed. Your academic transcript will literally be lost into oblivion very soon. For some of you who are like, oh, praise the Lord. I'm so excited. Your money's going to rot away, or it will be divided up and given to other people after you die. It's all vanity. That's not me. That's pure Bible. But the reward of the Father will not. Amen? Listen, the witness of Jesus and all the Old and New Testament is that at the end of all things, there will be a reckoning. And all men and women will stand before the Lord and be rewarded to quote Jesus according to what they have done. When we think of the day of the Lord, we tend to focus on the fact that God will take account of all the bad things we've done. And that's true. That's why Jesus took on our flesh and died for our sins and what we're celebrating today so that we can be forgiven for all those things and have confidence to stand in the judgment. But we must remember, the Bible is also clear, that it's also a time where God will reward the good things. 
It's a time when he will reward out loud all the secret good works, all the persevering suffering of his people that has happened in secret, but that the Father has seen and not forgotten. Every careless word, yes, but also remember, he says, every tear in a bottle. He doesn't lose it. And on that day, those who have endured will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. The reckoning is also a recognition. So what you're doing isn't lost. In some ways, this is like Christianity 101, right? Don't glorify, don't search for the glory from people, look for the glory from God. If you would ask me if I understood that, like last week I would have said, yeah, I know that, but I don't think I did, and I don't think I live that way. I must confess, this has been so revolutionary for me this week. In my line of work, just like in your age, looking for a temple reward, it is very, very easy to get caught up on a public stage looking for a temple reward from people around me. The sin is always crouching at the door. But Jesus has reminded me this week in this deep place of my heart that God does not care about fame or success or a prosperous quote-unquote ministry. I'm just talking about my experience. That doesn't face him. He applauds and looks for different things. What an astonishing thing to remember of what God cares about. So think about your life. Think about whatever you're doing, what people are applauding. And then think about the Beatitudes. God applauds different things and he sees you so you don't need to be anxious. Again, don't you feel the insecurity? I experience this too, and I know we all do, of wanting other people's approval. It makes you on edge. But there's such security in the Father's love. And all you need to do is go to that secret place, live your life in his vision, Know that the Father sees you. Feel his delight. Learn to please him in secret. Remember, Jesus always says, I love to please the Father. What does God say at the baptism? This is my son. I'm so well pleased with him. You can learn how to live and know that God sees you and say, Lord, this is for you. So when you give all your money away in a super reckless, crazy way for those in need, you can say, Lord, that's for you. When you're meeting with someone who's deeply unkind to you in a conversation, and you choose, when no one else is looking, to show compassion, to turn the other cheek, when you're way back to the car, you can say, Lord, that was for you. I know you saw that. If your kids are stretching you to breaking point, and you're changing a diaper at four in the morning, but you're doing it with gentleness and grace and love, you can say, Lord, this is for you. He sees. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And when your Father sees, who sees in secret, will reward you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we know that one of the things the Helper, the Holy Spirit who you sent to us helps us to do is to feel our sonship, and our daughtership of the Father, to cry out, Abba, Father. Lord, help us to know that we're seen this morning, 
not only right now, Lord, as we're gathered together to celebrate the feast of Jesus, but Lord, also in secret. Lord, would we be freed from, from the slavery of the public stage, from the rat race to get that reward? And Lord, would we drink deep of the fountain of your delight? All God's people said, Amen. Thank you.